0: Hello there and welcome back to this week's broadcast preview. Callum Williams alongside my usual soccer partners, Kindred E. St. Aubin and Jamie Watson. We've got a Big show coming your way. We'll talk about Vancouver Whitecaps and what happened and what didn't happen in the game last weekend against Minnesota United. Plus, we'll highlight all the latest headlines in the world of Major League Soccer and preview the next five gargantuan days for Minnesota United with a double helping of Portland Timbers. So first of all, Kindred East St. Aubin, um, I think it's safe to say an evening riddled in disappointment for Minnesota United last weekend, tying 0-0 at home to Vancouver Whitecaps. What did you take from it?
1: I think post game, I, I said it several times of just how disappointing it was because I was very strong in the fact that I felt like they had to go in that match and get a win. It was three points or bust for me because it was Vancouver sitting at the bottom of the Western Conference. You're at home at Allianz Field, you've you've be, you've made this place a fortress, and these are the kind of games. These are the three points you need to win. You you need to take. And I know Adrian Heath post game wasn't as upset, at least publicly on, on the interview to us. Um, and who knows how we felt deep down. And of course, a point is better than none. But I, you have to feel like that was two points lost, in, in my opinion. It had to be three points. It's, it's frustrating that they didn't get it, and that they, it's a zero-zero tie nonetheless. Not even just a draw, but a zero-zero that the offense couldn't get going. Once again, the, the defense stood firm, and um, the goalkeeping was good by Vito. I mean, he didn't have to make a ton of saves, but the offense again just not clicking, missing something there, not firing on all cylinders. I'm in the final third. So um, to me, disappointed needed to be three points at home against the last place at the time, Vancouver whitecaps. And I think it was a missed opportunity for Minnesota United.
0: Jimmy 37 crosses for Minnesota United as a former winger. Where does the real blame lie? Well, uh, it's a good question.
2: First of all, it's, that's an astonishing number. 37 crosses. Um, Now, look, that's, Taking what the game gives you, and Vancouver gave you, width. they gave you the wing play. They said we're going to shut down the middle of the field the way they set up: four defenders, three center midfielders tucked in tightly, two attacking midfielders in front of them, and one up top. So a um, four-three-two on a Christmas tree formation, if you will. So if you're looking at it tactically, if Vancouver's doing their job, they're clogging the middle, and that's what they did on the day. So it gave Chase Gasper, Ramon Matenere. Plenty of time and space to get wide, get balls, get crosses in. Um, Now, look, was every one of those 37 crosses stellar? No, but there certainly should have been a little bit more, say, dynamic running in the box from Minnesota United uh, attacking players. I think in instances where if you're on the side where Metzner has the ball on the right side, Miguel Labar needs to look to try to find a way to make sure that he can tuck in from the back post, almost even more so overly commit in there because Mm. there's you're lacking defensive responsibility in wide areas. So if you cheat in 10 extra yards when there's a cross coming in, well, you're kind of more recovering back to the middle defensively when, if, and when you do lose the ball and vice versa on the other side with Ethan Finley. And when Chase Gasper is crossing, I don't think there were enough times that players got to cross Maxime Crapo, mm-hmm. um, to cause him problems. I do think that we didn't say Crapo's name enough because I think a lot of those crosses, he came out and handled the box tremendously. Yes. What a performance from a goalkeeping standpoint, Krapo timing of when to come out for crosses, when to stay. Um, I thought, um, it started out in the first what, 13 minutes, uh, Daniel Henry, but then, um, Godoy came on and replaced him. I thought, uh, Godoy, Cornelius, they were fantastic defensively um, handling those crosses. Look, at the end of the day, if you have 37 crosses, yes, one of them should go in. At least one, if not two, if not three, if not four. Um, but for me, I think Vancouver clearly showed that they wanted one thing and one thing only, and that was to come away with a point. And for Minnesota United, um, let's also not lose sight of the fact that this is eight game, or nine games now unbeaten. In a row for Minnesota United. The longest we've seen in the MLS era. Um, should they have gotten two more points? Yes. Um, Am I devastated that it wasn't a win? No. But I also think that, yes, it is a missed opportunity, I think is the best way to put it. And look, we say it evens out over the course of the season. Is this two points dropped? One could say that. But the game against FC Dallas a couple weeks earlier where Vito saves a 95th minute penalty or 98th minute penalty, whatever it was, should that have been an instance in which we probably tied the game when we won, we probably won two more points than maybe we should have in that moment. So I think it evens out. I think you're still in the midst of this incredible run. And I think right now, the worst thing you could do if you're Minnesota United or a supporter is go, Oh my gosh, here we go. It's all downhill from there. We are still nine games unbeaten. Don't lose sight of how important that is. And you know, hopefully Minnesota United get a chance to keep that streak going against you, or against uh, Portland this weekend because, man, it is going to be a, a busy, busy Western Conference the west the rest of the way out. And with Portland having more and more home games and having crawled into that seventh-place spot now, that makes this game even more important on Sunday.
0: Uh, you bring up an interesting point as well about the, the crossing and whatnot, and, and both of you make intriguing points about Saturday's uh, disappointing tie. The one thing I'll say here, and I've been thinking this for a while now, and I might have mentioned it to one of you afterwards, uh, after we went off the air on Saturday. Um, Am I wrong to expect a little more from Jan Gregus? Because for me, 37 crosses, okay? And and, and, Jeremy, you're Absolutely, I, I completely agree, spot on with the fact that you would expect the likes, uh, if the ball's coming in from the right-hand side, you'd expect Miguel Ibarra to be loitering. Maybe even Chase Gaspar on the edge of the penalty area. Ethan Finlay would have at least started to make a run of some sort inside the penalty area. The one thing I couldn't help but notice against Vancouver, I just didn't think there was enough bodies inside the penalty area. So, why as a player playing as a number eight, why are there no secondary runs coming from Jan Grugisch? And because every time I watch him, more often than not the ball starts with him in the center of midfield, and it's pinged out either left or right. A lot of the time then, he'll either opt to to jog and and sort of semi-insinuate is gonna be a part of the attack, or he'll sit, and that's fine. If he's been told to do that, no problem. But I would expect from a number eight, if the ball, as soon as he pings the ball out wide, start a run, make at least an insinuation that you're going to be involved in this particular move. And, and I just think because of, of the way that, again, if the ball's on the right-hand side, the two wide attacking players will, will, will tuck in. As I said, the left-back would loiter, Quintero would loiter on the edge. I, the, the back line of whoever it is then would set themselves. And I don't think that Vancouver was strong enough on, on incidences like this. I don't think they were stern enough in the center of midfields and organized enough where a secondary run from Jan Gregusz, I, I, I think if that was executed, I think it would have caused them all sorts of problems. And, and I just wonder now, Kendra, is this something that we've perhaps got to start seeing a little more from the Slovakian international?
1: Well, I think I want to see more from him in even a different manner coming from the centre of midfield from a scoring threat. You know, I mean, we're talking about the secondary runs on the crosses because there were 37 of them, and I totally agree with you. There needs to be some more of a threat centrally from a scoring standpoint coming from the center of the park to, to attract the defense so then the, the wide areas are more open or maybe it gives more opportunity to get other runs or other spaces in there. But for me, it's not just about Jan getting on the end of crosses uh, and, and being a scoring threat in a secondary run. It's also from him being a scoring threat just with the ball mm. to, to, to shoot to score. I mean, Adrian said it last week at training. He needs eight or 10 goals a year from Jan Grego. He needs to be a scoring threat. We see him take more shots, but they're for the most part, errant shots, you know, not on target. So I think he's getting more confident and aggressive in that attacking position, but I don't think we're seeing it enough from him and he's sure as heck isn't going to score with his head a lot. Mm -hmm. on crosses in. So the secondary run has to be a ball that's dropping to his foot or he's volleying it or he's doing something. He's not, he's not a threat with his head. I mean, that's not his game. I don't care how tall he is. That's not his strong point. So yeah, the secondary run on a cross in, could it get something where he's volleying or drops to his feet is on the edge of the 18. He can get a strike off whatever great but also I think he has to have the ability to break down defenses coming up the middle of the park with the ball at his feet and not everything can just be distributed wide and then crossed in because there has to be some sort of a dynamic attack tactically for this team to find success and that's in my opinion what they've struggled with the last couple games
0: and I just think as well Jay with the timing of these secondary runs as well if they are executed we've seen so many central midfielders across world football do it so successfully why shouldn't he
2: and especially in that game against vancouver. Absolutely. That was the game in which you know, uh this game and, it, and I think what your question Is is Referring to is this match in particular Yes, and yes. this match in particular Highlights this yes, absolutely. He needs to add more goals going to his game only one goal in 19 appearances this season Um, not enough right from by his standards He would tell you he thinks he should he should have at least four, five, six goals at least at this point Adrian of course will want eight out of ten, but let's let's stick to this vancouver game Vancouver collectively, as the ball went wide, they just collapsed and tucked and almost, almost just gave away the outside of the field from a perimeter standpoint. If you're looking at like a half court basketball, it's like they let everything from outside the three point range go, right? It was, it was, we didn't want to go press too high because then there was open space in behind, we didn't want to go press too far out wide because then that undid it. It was basically we'll come in, we'll defend the cross and we'll just try to survive one goal absolutely undoes everything Vancouver wants to do. If Minnesota United score at any point in that game, then Vancouver has to go. Oh no, we have to change everything we're doing. And Jan Gregor from that standpoint, if they had respectively seven guys defensively, he needs to go because that means there's only three attacking players. And the combination that they had of whether it was Theo Bear, I know Venuto came on for Bear at some point. You had Montero on at one point. You had um Jordi Reyna. You can handle that with Ozzy Alonso, with Boxel with Opara, with whichever outside back stays to provide numbers support. Mm-hmm. Jan should have had free reign to go. And he should have. Absolutely he should have. Not all 37 crosses. No. But even if he goes for, Ten. I don't know, 10, 25% of them, he goes, you're sitting there going, okay, that's over 10 crosses. He makes the box and somebody else has to account. That's one more defensive number that can't go and double team Angelo. That can't account for Miguel on the back post. That doesn't have to try to worry about Darwin in the space for any knockdowns. It's another body. It's another person causing chaos. If anything, it's a half-hearted clearance that makes it to Jan. And if you think about it, First goal in Allianz Field ever scored. A defensive midfielder mm-hmm. making his way into the box, a cross that comes back, gets headed back across, half hearted clearance, Ozzie Alonso, bang, there it is. And you've got Cal and Wim screaming, Alonzo! Hmm. Could have been Gregush. Right. But it never was because there wasn't enough of it on the night. And I think that's a 100% valid argument to make and a valid argument make going f- to make going forward, if a team is going to be that defensive and allow Minnesota United to cross, then one of Jan Gregush or Ozzy Alonso needs to go, and more preferably, it should be Gregosh.
0: Absolutely. Um, and not to be negative here, because I think Jan Gregush is fitted in quite well into Minnesota United. He came awfully close to scoring in Salt Lake, remember, uh, the woodwork denying him there. And had it not have been for a fabulous save from Louis Robles earlier on in the season as well, he may very well have got himself another goal. But no doubt, I think it's safe to say, everybody would just like a little more of Jan Griegish. Um We'll stick with the Vancouver game briefly because one player, Kindra, that wasn't in the match day roster because he was going to be traded away to New York City FC was Eric Miller. All of us here at Minnesota United wish Eric Miller... All the best. Um, Lovely lads, good footballer, but I think it's safe to say this trade just made sense
1: it absolutely made sense and and actually I think if we go back and even Minnesota United got Eric Miller along with Sam Crone it, it made sense for what they needed at that time I mean of course he's a Minnesota guy so it's a little added incentive so people are wondering you know why why now trading him away but NYCFC felt they had a need and, and Minnesota United was able to fill it with an with an outside back that wasn't going to see any playing time because of the addition of Wilfried Wimbe Turat. And of course, Chase Gasper just playing phenomenal on that left hand side and really staying healthy. So, Absolutely, wish Eric Miller all the best. I mean, he's never turned down an interview. Has a smile on his face, a true pro. Whether he's in the eleven or the eighteen or not, um, showing up to work every day. And he's a Minnesota guy, so you feel bad that he's, you know, been sent away. And, and you know, family wise, trying to figure that piece out. But love Eric Miller. Um, he's fantastic. But I think it, it, you know, hopefully he'll find some playing time there. And it made the most sense for Minnesota United if they were going to get something for him to make this move.
0: Well, that's the interesting question there, Jamie, Kendra. His her statement was just if he has playing time, mm-hmm. will he? Do we expect him to play at NYCFC?
2: Well, look, I mean, the reality is New York City. Whether it's a a million dollars or it's fifty thousand dollars in general allocation money, they they gave something up to get him. So obviously there was a value to the club to give up something for him. Now, look, I mean, I think that what's to be seen. I mean, does he does he play for? you know, Dominic Torrent. I I don't know. I, I don't know because you certainly got, um, the likes of Tinnerholm, Ben sweat, um, matricia, um, right off the top of my head. Those are the first three that come to mind that have been playing quite a bit. So now you add Eric Miller into the mix and you start going, okay, that's a solid core. It gives you certainly depth both right and left side. Cause he has that ability to play there. Um, NYCFC is a team that will be in the playoffs most likely hosting a, you know, a home playoff game, um, which they are very good at Yankee Stadium. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Matricius had injury problems, missed the World Cup because of injuries. Um, Tanner Holmes has been, you know, one of the, uh, the unsung heroes at outside back um, since he's been signed. I think he's been fantastic his entire spell here in Major League Soccer. Um, but I'm just not convinced that Ben Sweat has found that form that got him called into the full team. Um, and so maybe there is an opening for him, you know, it's to be seen, but I think he certainly comes in with a little bit of a heads up that the coach gave up something for him. The GM gave up something to get him. So they want it to succeed. They want him to succeed. They want to give him opportunities to succeed. So I think it's a better situation there than it was here. I mean, not personally, but professionally that's the case and look he's got the, the he can come back to Minnesota and live here the rest of his life when his when his professional days are done right during your professional career you need to be in the best possible situation you can be in while that short window of time in your playing career there is and right now from the surface it looks as though that is going to be at NYCFC as opposed to Minnesota United so if if you're Eric who's a smart individual who understands the business side of it and the the kind of the side that to be quite frank sucks sometimes like when you get traded but he also understands this is a team that wanted me right and you want to be where you want to be wanted so i wish nothing but the best for him i know we all do he, i said this uh when it first happened i think we tweeted all out we all made it a point to want to say all the best to him because he was so great to us and i'll miss seeing eric just from a personal level a fantastic guy um but yeah i mean I, I want him to go and succeed i want him to go and have all this success in the world and hopefully you know, Minnesota United sees NYCFC, and MLS Cup. And, Hmm. you know, there we go. So there we go. You get to see him at that point. Then I don't wish him all the best in life. (laughs) Um, Him personally, he can have a hat-trick, just lose 4-3 on the day, whatever. But all the best, and and we're so grateful to Eric Miller for for all that he did for us. And, um, yeah, he goes with our our best wishes.
0: Trades and transfers are plenty. Whilst the window remains open here in North America, August 7th is when the window slams shut. We could go on all day and talk about all these different trades that have been made but but let's before we talk about minnesota united in this window i just want to talk about a saga that's been ongoing and, and may very well go until deadline day um Kindra, christian pavon um a flying argentine winger from boca juniors has been linked to la galaxy for what seems an eternity um the league reported or at least sources from the league reported 16 million was rejected by boca juniors i had heard 18 million I'd also heard that the Galaxy have gone back in with a loan to buy. Then all of a sudden, it seems as though reports are suggesting that Bordeaux in Liga are now interested. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine back home in the UK suggested to me as well that Watford in the Premier League have now shown a bit of interest. Um, how do we even begin to describe what we think of this? It's obviously good that Major League Soccer are now involved in these types of transfers, but it, it seems as though from your contacts that Boca Juniors are playing hardball, aren't they?
1: Well, especially because this seems to be a player that's fallen out of favor a bit over there, according to, you know, people that I talk to that are familiar with the LA Galaxy situation. So it's a it's a tough situation, you know, when you're the galaxy and you're a Guillermo Baroscolotto and trying to figure out you want this guy who you're clearly familiar with coming from Boca Juniors and you know what a situation is with that club and yet they're trying to drive a hard bargain because it's MLS and they probably feel like at Bocas they can just do whatever they want and, mm. and get the number they want. But I honestly think that the bigger piece for me is, is once again, the LA Galaxy may find themselves in a position where they don't have enough DP slots <laughs> and people are going to be wondering and what is going on with this club and and can they just reconfigure and maneuver the rules? I mean, there was a huge issue with that just before the season started as well, trying to maneuver that, you know, and I think that again is going to in turn go to the argument in the situation within MLS of what are you going to do with the DP situation and the TAM and the GAM and you know, is it becoming convoluted now with how they're trying to structure these things and you get the reason why they had DPs in the first place, but is it limiting teams from bringing in some stars mm. and some studs into this league that they're continuing to try to, to grow. So, I mean, w- would we like to see Pavon come over here and, and, you know, with a little Argentinian flair and, and light up the league and, and see what he does maybe. But at the same time, I think, um, it just begs the bigger question for me about, you know, Don Garber and this, the league and and the commissioner and what are they going to do going forward to combat some of these issues that that now these teams are having to sign big time players when they want to if they don't have enough DP slots
2: but then does it become an arms race if we totally let go of the right. DP and then doesn't I'm not undo, saying it, that undo. let go of it,
1: but do they have to reconfigure how they are maneuvering it? Because you don't want to not lose the stars. But you know, I think there's an argument to be said for, you know, is three the right number or mm. is what how are we putting too much stock in the label of DP? I mean, when we keep giving teams more gam and more TAM and to get some of those players and you can buy players down from a DP and Whatever else I'm just saying, like, I think it's, it's just a conversation maybe for the end of the year for the league and for the clubs and the owners. And they just had the, you know, board of governors meetings in Orlando. I'm sure there's a lot of these conversations going on because you don't want it to just be the rich against the poor, the has against the have-nots where you got teams just throwing money at at players that the others can't. So there has to be some sort of a a happy medium, but I just think it's going to come up again.
2: Is there a number you think that would be perfect for a DP number?
1: No, I mean, for how many a team could have? Yeah. I don't even know. I, that's where I go back to even the thought process of, do we still label DP as a DP? Do we go somehow and... I mean, the designated player rule came into into fruition because you wanted those stars to be able to come over here. and You had a certain amount of t- you know players on your team that you could spend that dollar amount, and now teams are just trying to figure out a way around it. I mean, Zlatan Ibrahimovic wasn't a DP last year. Right. So, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think teams are going to continue to find a way around it, so I don't know if what the answer is, or if like, oh, you can have four, you can have six, you can have eight, or if it's just rethinking the whole process of how do you still make it and have parity in this league with all the teams in the different size markets, and it might just be a conversation for another day at the end of the season to try to figure out how you could get the stars and the studs over here.
0: It's another debate for another day, because otherwise we're going to go on for about two, three hours, aren't we? I'm sure we we never do that though. We're just
1: going to invite Doctor McGuire, and I'm sure he'd have a nice thought on that. Yeah,
0: let's uh, (laughs) let's not let's do that uh, when the uh, when the CBA is discussed and whatnot. One thing I will say though, with the latest
2: report of Bordeaux coming in to play, do we actually think, Cal, that that is a real thing or is that the agent?
1: Oh, totally. I mean, it could dropping be, yeah.
2: a quick yeah. little hint to yeah. some media outlet going, well, now we're trying to figure out, you know, if it's going to be X amount of money for, uh, to buy, is it, is it going to be a loan to buy? Well, you guys are, are stalling on it. You're not making your decision. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, a team that you'd you never heard of, mm. and there's, by the way, if a team wanted to be silent about getting into the process of bidding them and buying it, it wouldn't all of a sudden come out right now. Mm-hmm. They would stay silent. They would try to get the deal done and then be like the silent. We swooped in, got the deal done. Yep. Right. I would just love or they it
1: would, if been... would come out and be like, we didn't say that. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. I just love it. One of these times where the other team that gets thrown in by the agent, it's like, no, no. Like that's 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 a complete lie by his agent. Like exactly, does that, ever that would be
2: well. It, it, <laughs> would what, be there was a uh, the official um, Bayern Munich account. Bayern Munich came out and said today that there was no truth to Leroy Sané joining them that's just yet. Sense. So I mean, like it's, I that, that was finally that's one great. that somebody's probably going. Oh boy, I got my bluff called. So <laughs> that would be hilarious if Bordeaux comes out and you know, mm-hmm. essentially goes, "We've never ever mentioned Pavon's name mm-hmm. here." You know what I mean? It's just you're right, but it's funny how that timing works when right. millions are being thrown around and then it's it just adds more leverage for the player doesn't it? if there is some truth to it but rumors are just that sometimes aren't they
0: they are but what i will say is that I, I would love more players like this coming oh, yeah. into the league you know and, and kinder's right you know i i I just i find now that teams are more restricted than they've ever been before yes. in terms of being able to bring in players like this but look we'll, we'll wait and see as i said we'll discuss this when we get closer to the CBA and certainly when we get um, done with the, uh, the current transfer window, which, as we mentioned earlier on, uh, closes August 7th. Before we move on, though, um, Minnesota United in this uh, summer transfer window. Two additions. Robin Lerds coming over from Sporting Hee-Hong um, and then Wilfred mwembe Tarat coming in from Nancy. Um Kindra, have they done enough? Is there anything else you would like to see before August 7th?
1: Um, gosh, it's, you know, it's, it's a little tough for me to say with not having seen Robin Lord yet, or, right, right. or Wilfred Moembe Tarot and how they're actually going to contribute. Now, again, I mean, everybody could say that, right? It's a wild card. You don't know how players, are. I mean, people seem to be really excited about Robin Lord for sh- Lord, Lord, you say it, you sound way better. It's like, I just you like, get used to. you're going to be Lord, saying it a lot I know, when he starts I know, playing. I know, but I just had to say, I just said it like seven times in a row. So it makes, it takes the, you know. The uniqueness out of it when I have to say once in a blue moon, but <laughs> um, no, I, I'm excited to see him. I think people are really going to think that he can light up this offense and this attack because right now I'm, and again, it's only the last three games and. I just feel like there's been times in this season where even with how good this front four and front six can look on paper for Minnesota United, and we've said it before, especially when Kevin Molino is healthy and playing with so much confidence in what he can create and how he can contribute and help this offense and really break teams down and pair and partner with Darwin Quintero, meaning not that they're combining together, but just the fact that they're, they're taking some weight off of the other for what the other was having to provide offensively. Like I'm, I'm excited to see what um, Robin Lord can do as well. And um, I, I don't, I'm don't. i okay with them not making any additional signings in this transfer window if it doesn't happen. And I know nothing of any rumors whatsoever. And you guys might know more than I do if there's still something in the works out there. But um, I, I'm okay with the two signings. I think they fulfilled two needs and two spots. And we'll see how they translate into MLS. But again, this front four, this front six, this attack, and I'm not putting it on just the offense or just that front four, front six, but sometimes when you're having to break a team down like they have against RSL, like they did against Van- head to against Vancouver and even Dallas, you I, I, I would love a flashy attacking player that can take the ball and go at people and score goals. And I, I don't know that if you look at this roster that we have that on this roster right now. Someone who is going to put the defense on their heels and if they're not scoring, then they can dish it off and find someone else after they attract it. Like a Fernandez for and he doesn't necessarily go at people for Portland, but the fact that he is just a threat in there and he tracks so much attention, and I think Angelo Rodriguez has been that at times. I think Darwin Cantero has maybe been that at times. I think Kevin Molino can attract the defense and then slide the ball through and slot someone through, but someone who, you know, is going to kind of light the offense on fire and that you can put the game on their shoulders and they can get you that goal you need late in the game.
0: Jay, any particular area you feel could do with a little more firepower or just... Adding of some sort.
2: I think you. I think you asked the question. Do we? Does Minnesota United need anything else this transfer window? I think need and want have to be the two important words here. Does the team desperately need anything? Desperately, no. I think they filled the depth position at outside back, outside left back in particular with Moenbe Um I think that they added themselves another player that they felt in Robin Hood that. Maybe gives them something different than what they have now. Perhaps something in some areas they think better than what they have now. Now, do they need something else? No. Would they want something? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they'd want another goal scorer that could score goals.
0: Mm. I, I, was I think so. Sort of cut you off. I I, I use the word need there, which is a very stern. Yeah. Word. I I not necessarily need, but want, as you as you said. No.
2: and, and, and I know, and we've had so many conversations about this. You know, just as I'm sure many people have. not so I didn't mean to ill reference that because I know that um, we've spoken about this and, and I just wanted to reiterate the difference of the two, because I think sometimes those two words get lumped in together. Um, And so to, to draw attention to that point, this team has got depth for, I wouldn't say the first time, but it's been, this is the most depth this team has had in major league soccer. Let's just call it how it is. And with that, you now you have a position in which you don't have to stretch for deals. You don't have to overpay for players. You don't have to sit there and go, well, we haven't done enough research on this player, but yet we're going to sink a couple million dollars into this guy. And let's hope it works out because I think this team with the roster it has now is certainly good enough for the playoffs. By the way, next time we're talking next week we could be talking about a team that's in the U S open cup final, And then you're talking about a team that hopefully can make a run. Once you get to the playoffs, it's you saw last year, everybody, thought LAFC was going to win it. Nope. Lost to Real Salt Lake, you know, you, you just, you just never know when the playoffs start. Especially
1: the way the playoffs are this season.
2: Exactly. You know, especially with the new format and everything. So, um, I think you have the ability to be a little bit more particular with the deals you make, especially with trades. And look, now you've got depth and you've got options. So if a, Trade does get approached for once. You're not saying, well, we can't do this deal because we don't have anybody else to replace this person with if you come in and wanting an offer for this person. Um, You can say that now. And you can have pieces that are movable and players that are desired by other teams. Um, But what do I want? Yeah, I I want another goal scorer. I always want another goal scorer. You know who else wants a goal scorer? 23 other teams in Major League (laughs) Soccer. And then all the other teams in the world want a goal scorer. So, yeah, of course, if you can find somebody with a deal that makes sense right now, I would want that to be filled. I would want that to be added to the roster. But do we need that right now? I don't know if we necessarily need it. That's my opinion. We hit on five signings in the the winter transfer window, picked up two draft picks that are playing, a third draft pick that looks like the heir apparent to both club and country And Dane St. Clair. There's eight signings. You picked up two more now with... Lwood and uh, Mwembe, Tarat. I'm not going to lump them in right now because we haven't seen them play in a game yet. But there are seven players right now that consistently have, have proven they can play. Dane can play. He's just obviously in a log jam right now with goalkeepers. And then you've got two more to that. That's 10 players since the season last ended in 2018. So it's not a need now. It's a want for me.
0: Um, well, you mentioned a team of stars there which is a perfect transition because that's exactly what we saw on Wednesday evening in Orlando, where the MLS All-Stars went up against Atletico Madrid. They lost by three goals to nil. Llorente, Felix and Costa with the goals for the La Liga side. Um, Kindra, your, your thoughts on, on not only the, the game, but the entirety of the last few days. It's always nice to, to celebrate what Major League Soccer has become and how far it has come. But your thoughts on the overall couple of days?
1: I like the festivities. I think that it gives an opportunity for these players to come together in the same area under a different premise, which I don't think happens very often. And I don't know that you can say that for every all-star game or every, you know, um, thing in the United States that operates that way, whether it's MLB or, you know, I mean, obviously we have the Pro Bowl or the NBA all-star game. So I, I like it. Um, I heard an interesting comment this morning. I was listening to, I don't even know what I was listening to. So serious XMFC or something where a caller said that they think that MLS is in a position now where they don't need to bring in these other clubs from these other countries to attract people to the game. Don't you have enough amazing players in the East and the West that you could put the East against the West against each other Mm. and be able to fill those two rosters and have plenty of opportunities for both sides. And I thought that was actually a really good point because there may have been a time in the past where, you know, that's why you would bring in another one of these countries and it's an international break for them. It's it's their preseason. So it makes sense. And now that gives the opportunity of people in America to see these other countries and these other clubs, I should say, come in and play against the MLS All-Stars. But at the same time, there's a lot of guys that were left off this All-Star roster that probably were deserving to be on it. Um, and even rewatching, you know, the Portland Timbers game, looking at some of the guys on their roster, you're thinking, well, you know, Chara was on that roster, but there were some other guys that you're like, wow, uh, you know, Diego Valeri or, you know, Fernandez or other players just on every club that I probably could have filled out this roster. So it's a, it's a weird balance for me, but I loved the skills challenge. I, I love mm-hmm. the return of that. I think that's just good fun. And I right. think the players got into it as the, as the evening went on and they lightened up a little bit and they saw what it was again. And, um, I don't know if I loved the setup of how it was run, but I thought the players and the skills and the fun of it itself were 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 good. It was nice to have that back. And it was an okay game. I mean, it was fun. It was there was some excitement. I think, you know, um Atletico Madrid warmed up a little bit and they got some of their guys on there later in the match that I think people were expecting to see. And if I, you know, if Felix wants to come and play in MLS, i am be fine with that. <laughs> um somebody wants to pay that kind of money for him. But all in all, I think it was win. I like the MLS All Star. I think it's well done by the league, and I think um, I, I think it was it was a good shout, and I, I
0: enjoyed it. Before we talk more about the game, Jamie and Kindred, I'll get your both of your thoughts on this. How about this? And and I, I only bring this up because you, you see what we've seen in the league's cup. Yeah. Um, there's undoubtedly um, an extra bit of bite in games between Liga MX and MLS teams in the CONCACAF yeah. Champions League what about if in the next few years we see the MLS all-stars against the Liga MX all-stars is that something we could possibly see sure i would be all for it um i think you can go one or two
2: routes with this when it comes to the all-star game you can go right let's let's make it let's let's tie let's strengthen this tie of US Mexico both you know, domestically with the the Leagues Cup and now with the All-Star game, you can certainly do that and ask players to get another competitive game and want to try to prove that our stars can beat your stars and mm-hmm. you put a little bit something to it, right? And and maybe there's some incentive that then comes up with the Leagues Cup for that. Maybe the, the, the winning All-Star team gets to then have preference of, you know, the home and away game with the Leagues Cup of where they play the second fixture or if that ever becomes, or if sure. the, whoever wins the... If the MLS All-Stars win, then the League's Cup first games are hosted here or the finals hosted in the U.S., whatever. You can make some sort of incentive that some players who will participate in that get to benefit from it. But I also think you could take Kendra's idea and go just east-west, scrap the fact that it's an 11-a-side game with substitutions at every throw-in, and you just go seven-a-side, smaller field, you want to see goals. You want to see players having fun. You want to see laughing. I loved the mic up part of it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was awesome. I wish I could have been mic'd up. Probably couldn't have aired everything that I said mic'd up <laughs> when you were playing. But I, I think you either go one or two routes. You do that. Either the Mexico, US All-Stars incentivize it, mm-hmm. or you go, let's go into a even more casual get the stars together no team has to hopefully worry about their players getting hurt right. and you just go to a seven-a-side game on a smaller field you know do you do you use one half of the field and go with wise and it's you know 80 yards long as the field do you go 18 to 18 I don't know what it is but I think you also then just you realize you, you don't necessarily need these other teams and if you're an MLS fan you want to see more of the players playing in the game, but seven aside also means you don't convolute it where you've got to have two full squads and you've got guys being all-stars that probably don't deserve to be an all-star. So you don't tarnish the luster of being named an all-star, right? So you have
1: captains pick teams like the NBA does. Sure. Whatever it is. On. I mean, it, it throws can, an extra little, yeah. Like they like, who doesn't want to get picked last?
2: <laughs> if I got to be honest though, I, I, I don't think the current format of the game is going to entice people any more than it has currently, mm-hmm. because I think people are now very aware of, yes, this is the, 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 pretty much the full Atletico go Madrid team that, that Simeone put out last night. But having said that, like you don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get hurt. Mm-hmm. We both know that everyone in the stands knows that but we're going to sell you. It's the biggest teams in the world. You know, it's kind of, it's right. We're let's, let's, let's mix it up. Let's do something different. I don't have the perfect answer, but I think there are options.
0: Mm-hmm. Says the man who's employed by ICC, but <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> there you go. Um, so let's talk about the game briefly, shall we? Uh, Kindra, <laughs> <laughs> you, um, you you spoke about Joao Felix yeah. uh, briefly, and mm-hmm. this is meant to be the next big thing—that the newest teenage sensation in world football. Uh, talk to me about the goal he scored mm. and the way he's hit the ball <laughs> as well. I mean, it was phenomenal, wasn't it?
1: It was, and I think. Um, it's got to make them feel good because they just paid a lot of money for him. You know, I mean, I that's what they expect from this guy. And did anyone see the pictures of him with, was it Kaka?
2: Yeah. I mean, All literally, literally it was Challenge. like
1: a lookalike. I mean, it was kind of <laughs> creepy, um, but a younger version. But... um I mean, just impeccable. I, I just loved watching him play, and I love seeing that kind of quality and that kind of ability. And, and But then I also love seeing the old guys, like I say old relatively speaking, but like Diego Costa still coming in and somehow finding a go- the back of the net late in that match and kind of with an air about him as well. So um, I was bummed that MLS didn't score a goal. Mm you got those attacking pieces on the field and I'm, and I get it. They don't play together often. And this is a weird combination and everybody's out of position and trying to do their own thing. And, you know, we were, we are conversating a little bit about, you know, Wayne Rooney and what he was doing out there, but it's just, I mean, what is this first time since 2011 that MLS hasn't scored in an all-star game? I think I saw somewhere. So I think that's a little, I mean, for fans that are at this game in this, in this position and wanting to see goals, Um, you know, they see three from atletico Madrid, but yeah, I mean Felix was unbelievable. It was fun to watch him play how he struck that ball, his ability on top of the box to strike that. And, um, didn't stand a chance with that finish, but all in all, um, I think that the, the game left a little bit to be desired for me and, um. You know, it is what it is. It's an all-star game. Right. It's like when we see, you know, the NBA all-star game, and it's like 175 to 180 is the final. And it's all just dunking and three pointers, and it's more of an entertainment value. And if people felt entertained by it, then and if it, it grew the game a little bit, then great. I think that's the ultimate goal.
2: Right. I, I the old guy though at thirty. Well, God. <laughs> well, how
1: old is Felix?
2: Was oh, nineteen, isn't okay? He? So he uh, is yeah, the old
1: guy so out there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. not talk Jeez. about. young clothes. I mean, Holy whatever, God. guys.
1: I'm gonna be 39 in September. I just told <laughs> Casey I could have been her mom. It would we would have been on Teenage Moms, but I could be her. That's mom. That's also a different so podcast. That's
2: a yeah, that's podcast. Podcast. Casey uh, in the office here. Again, another podcast. They turned 24. Happy uh, another birthday, podcast Casey. for another day. You're looking forward to that one. That will come out on the different um, platform.
0: Mm. <laughs> Um, Go ahead, Cal, transition that one Moving swiftly on (laughs) Are we going to Um, Portland? (laughs) uh, Let's uh, talk about some uh, intriguing conversations that were had at halftime as well Uh, Don Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer at least insinuated, Kindra, that St. Louis now appears to be the front runner for the next round of expansion Um, I I know St. Louis feels as though they should have been in the league 20 years ago Um, Is this the right place to go?
1: I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think it's a great place to go. I mean, I wouldn't have been shocked if they were in the league how many years ago you just stated. I mean, we all know that St. Louis is, or maybe we all don't know, but I just know from club and from growing up in the Midwest that it's an absolute hotbed for soccer. I mean, it's a huge soccer community there now that doesn't always translate to a fantastic MLS franchise. I mean, we, you know, I mean, look how long it took Minnesota to get a place or to get a team and they'd been around forever. So I think it's a great choice. I think it's going to be well supported. I think the community there is ready for it and they probably have something to prove because they do feel like they should have had a club there and MLS club a while back. Um, So, you know, I think it's great. I think it's going to be awesome. And um, I think Don Garber has, it, it, it's a it's a fortune of riches now from places to choose from because everybody wants in and they're going to the ends of the earth to prove it and provide these stadiums and whatever else and it's a whole different feel of mls than what we saw when it was mls 1.0 with everybody just clawing and scrapping to be that next club that is you know given the magic tap on the shoulder by by Don Garber and the rest of the crew at mls
0: that that's um an intriguing point and I was speaking to a good friend of mine who's from st louis last night after this um, halftime piece was done by fox and i wonder as well jamie is it now a more in terms of st louis is it now a more perfect time to come into the league as opposed to when they originally tried in 2009 when when the union got the franchise instead is it now a better time to come into the league
2: well i think so much of the discussion of timing in a lot of these instances it's so funny that we could say this is a soccer hotbed that this is the place that we know would would thrive and do well and you could even have all the proper ownership lined up but weirdly enough sometimes it always not sometimes it always occasionally It falls on the shoulders of politicians who may not have ever kicked the soccer ball or know how successful Major League Soccer is or just has a preconceived notion of soccer and that, no, this isn't what I want to, you know, put my name behind because that's not going to help my votes. Uh, My voters vote for me again during reelection coming up. So timing wise, good things have changed they may have just changed in the simple format that somebody that was there before that was not a proponent of a proposed stadium and the bill to be able to help get that funded or approval of land being sold for this purpose or whatever now has simply not been reelected or has their, their term has come to an end and somebody else has come in. And that could have been the biggest hurdle that somebody saying, I will give all of this money to help do it. And if, You didn't have the right politicians in place that were on board with the idea and seeing the big picture and the growth of Major League Soccer. It doesn't matter sometimes. And that was always the the one big caveat that really seemed to hold back St. Louis was the fact that there was never the backing of the government officials at the local level that you absolutely need. So is it the right time? It could very well be for factors that are beyond anything that you and I would expect it to be. Or maybe
1: ever even know, or even know. Just never know.
2: Oh, by the way, Mm -hmm. there's there's (laughs) so much much that goes on that we don't know
1: as anything seems.
2: I said in that the board meeting when Orlando City got their final approval from the county commissioner, and the stories at the after party that night could Mm -hmm. uh, could could definitely. that would, that would raise some hairs on your arms to know what really actually goes on to get those things to that point. And, and there's so much more that that's just the tip of the iceberg. So is it the right time? Yeah, maybe because of factors that have nothing to do with soccer. But if they are one of the lucky, um, if St. Louis is one of the lucky cities to get an MLS franchise, you know we've seen what it's done here. I've seen personally in Salt Lake in Orlando, I think it's very similar to the markets like Orlando and salt Lake, where you're not competing against a whole bunch of teams. You really just have the Cardinals and the blues. Right. So you know what I mean? There's really, there's not a ton of competition. Now there's other going to be other teams as well in the market. Um, but yeah, it, it, it could be a very good thing if they finally get the backing that they've not had up until this point. But also to a city like Charlotte too. Right. I mean that's another city that could that could do wonders there. Sacramento's proven it at the USL level. There's no shortage of of suitors lining up and they have deep enough pockets to pay the fee, whatever it is. It's an incredible time. What a business model Finger League Soccer has built. You want a franchise? Do all of these things that we ask that could cost you upwards of 350, $400 dollars just to start. Mm-hmm. And then from there you pay your bills. After that, then people are saying, "Yes, please pick us! Please yeah. pick us!" It's incredible. Whether you like it or love it, or you don't like it at all, <laughs> it works, and it, it's 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 a proven method that Don Garber and his team has been able to craft and cultivate
0: and grow. We've uh, we've we've done it again, guys. I, I, I tried to well, given like, the best podcast ever. Is I, that what you're about to say? <laughs> I tried my best to keep this to around about 45 minutes. Our producer Morgan is sitting in this room shaking his head in disbelief that a game we're going over. He's looking
1: at his fantasy team or something. He's shaking his head. It's nothing to do with our podcast
0: right now. A a game we've gone over 45 minutes. So, okay, I guess we'll go to an hour, shall we? Uh, So with that in mind, let's move on, shall we? Uh, And Kendra... Please take as much time as you will with this one, because after back-to-back mm. World Cups, Jill Ellis announced in the week that she will no longer be the women's national team head coach for the United States. Um, what were your instant thoughts when you saw this news?
1: It was, it was interesting because I wasn't surprised in the sense that she had just won back-to-back World Cups, and it had been five-plus years that she's had that position, and that's a very taxing position to hold and, um, but at the same time I was surprised because of just the Olympics, you know, and that was one thing that they didn't accomplish. I mean, they got by their standards smoked in the last Olympics. And that was really the catalyst for this last world cup and reevaluating and looking at themselves and trying to figure out where they needed to change, whether it was personnel or tactics or whatever else. And I listened in on the conference call with Jill Ellis after that announcement came out and. And she said all the things that I guess you would expect the coach that, you know what, is there any better time to step down when you're on a high note and you're on a positive positive? and it's sometimes harder to step away when you're in that position. But at the same time, it was the right time for her. It's been a lot on her family and you know, it's a changing of the guard and now it's, She's still gonna be involved in US soccer in some way, shape or form. So I just wonder how that's going to affect the next coach that is hired, who does take the reins, who is gonna come in and, and take that position, if she'll have any say on it, or if it's better that she's completely not involved because you want she wants them to do it their way. And everyone kept asking her, What advice would you give? What is this? You know, and she just said you gotta do it your way. You gotta figure out what works for you and and your staff and and how you you know, as as long as you keep winning, no one's gonna care how you get it done. And she said um, the biggest learning lesson that she took, and actually the, the the thing she was most proud of was the fact that they did get absolutely crushed in the Olympics by their standards and that they took that time to reevaluate. And it was probably the best thing that could have happened to them. And they took that as a positive and a learning lesson. And man, talk, talk about a tough act to follow. Good luck with whoever gets that position. And we've seen other coaches step into that role, whether it's April Heinrichs or, you know, I mean, Tom Sermani lasted all of a hot minute, and, um, I, I think it's going to be, there's going to be people that are, you know, knocking on that door right away for that position. And will there be pressure for them to hire a woman? That'll be, a, that'll be an interesting to me because I think it should just be whoever is the best coach for the job. And yes. I don't care if it's man, woman or whatever, but, um, I think that because of this movement now and, and the, the attention that it's brought, there will be some pressure and there are some fantastic female coaches out there. So, um, Congrats to Jill Ellis. Fantastic job. She found a way to get it done. That's a lot of personalities and, and egos and just things to manage along the way. That's a, It's a bigger bigger task than just coaching a team um, when you have a national team like that and you're doing what they're doing. And, and kudos to her. And excited that this victory tour that they're going to be on is also kind of a farewell tour mm. for her. And hopefully they go out on a positive note.
0: Can I throw a name out to you? Sure. Who, who I've been a big fan for a while and it's purely... Because I've been impressed with with her setup and and how she plays the game, but also because I remember uh, talking to her. I commentated on the the Women's FA Cup final in 2010 mm. when Arsenal mm. beats uh, Everton. Uh, Laura Harvey, mm.
1: I love Laura Harvey.
0: Um, obviously, has has done well with Seattle yeah. Reign and yeah. and the Utah Royals yeah. as well. But she had a, a fabulous, a glistening mm. resume mm-hmm. at Arsenal. I like it because she's from Birmingham as well. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I mean, who who if you had to choose, would, would that be a name on the shortlist at the very least?
1: I think she should be on the short list, but what's kind of surprising to me is, like, why why wasn't she on the shortlist to coach England? And maybe she was. I don't well, know. Yes. You yes. know what I mean? I'm just saying, like, I, I love Laura Harvey. I remember interviewing her several times for NWSL and love her personality, love yes. the way she seems to have a great relationship with her players and the way she just tells them like it is. And I think they appreciate that. And we all know sometimes communication is the biggest struggle um, for coaches and players is just communicating what you want from them. And when you're not happy with them and how they can get better. And I loved Lori Harvey for that, but I think there's even a lot of college coaches out there that should be looked at if they are willing to leave the college game. Mm. Um, and you know, we've, we've seen some coaches not do so well in the 17s and the twenties. And so I don't know if that, that's a, an issue too is translating to the full national team like a BJ snow or an April Heinrichs or some of those players or the coaches. Um, I know a lot of good, really good college coaches and they've, you know, Paul Ratcliffe is an example at Stanford. Like all he does there is win Um, Leslie Gallimore, who was at Washington for like 30 years and in her programs are fantastic. Her coaches love her. Um, but does it translate to the national team game? Will they stay in the United States? Will they go, will they hire someone like a Laura Harvey or, or someone internationally? Tom Sermani didn't last. So mm. it's a tough task and that's a very tough group to manage. As awesome as those women are and as great as they are, you know, I, I don't know how difficult it is to coach them, honestly, mm. because of because of some of that. I think they have a lot of power.
0: I, I must admit, um, after seeing how Jill's, how, how, um, that the US have done over the course of the last couple of years and seeing Jill Ellis manage all those profiles, mm-hmm. I must admit, I don't have anything against Phil Neville. I just don't think he fits. I know they, they just, England just won bronze at the World Cup, but I, I, I just don't think he fits. Mm-hmm. I would love Jill Ellis to take over the Lionesses. That would be fabulous because I, I actually didn't realize she is. Particularly English as well. I didn't realize how English she still is, and she still has the three lines in in her veins. And I I think that um, would be a match made in heaven. I really really do. Jamie, uh, any names that that you would like to see for the national team?
2: You know, I think Laura Harvey was the first name that came to mind when you said it, just because I know that what she's done with the Utah Royals has been great. Um, you know, I I personally have gotten the chance to to get to meet Tom Sermanni in yeah, Orlando. He's so great. He's just a wonderful human mm-hmm. being. Um, I don't know if if uh, you know you, this is, this is what's weird for me is, is do you go an older coach? Do you go a younger emerging coach that is still working their way up? But what I think you have to figure out the coach that you're going to decide has to either have just a dominating profile of a person that can handle those personalities of the girls without fail, no matter what, now, if it's a coach that you don't feel necessarily has the personality yet and is still maybe emerging, finding who they are as a coach, then I think you've got to find a coach that the players unanimously respect. That can be young or old, but I think that's the biggest thing. And if you have a direction in which you want the girls team to go, if you're saying, right, it's going to be a complete changing of the guard, as you mentioned, and we're going to go younger for the next generation, for the for the next big tournament with the Olympics, mm-hmm. You know, do you get a younger coach? Do you get a coach that is domestic base that knows the league inside and out and knows the players inside and out and maybe can pull some players that haven't quite gotten a look because it's been a lot of the same familiar faces for a while now with the women's national team, which by the way, works. Yes. No, no complaints 2 back-to-back world cups, (laughs) whatever you're doing works by all means. Don't ask me to come in and say anything that's going to change it because that's the goal and they've accomplished it two world cups in a row. Um, yeah, I think it's just interesting to see which direction, um, us soccer pins the women's team to go much like the men decided they wanted to go much younger. So right. Then you needed to kind of make sure that if that's the direction, I think you need to align that and align that with a coach that, um, sees it going the same way and can grow within that role. And it's an important hire because I think you don't need a stopgap; You need somebody that is going to be for the long haul as well. So take your time with this decision because it is a very big one, but first name that came to mind was Laura Harvey. Full stop instantly the second you ask that question. So mm. that would be my vote if I had to say one name today.
0: Intriguing stuff. Okay, let's move on, shall we, um, for the final part of the show. Minnesota United have, uh, again, I think we can say this about the last 11, 12 MLS regular season games of the campaign, but it is, again, the biggest game of the season on Sunday against Portland Timbers, who are rampant and surging. Um, but the one question I, I have for you, Kendra, how on earth do you begin to prepare? to keep the likes of Fernandez at bay?
1: Man, I think what I really like about Fernandez, and first of all, he's, you know, there was pressure on him when he came in the league because I think he was highly touted and he's done everything that he was supposed to do and sometimes that's difficult coming into this league. Um, and he's kind of lit it on fire. I mean, what does he have now? Nine goals, 10 goals, you know, how many ever goals he or games he went in a row scoring a goal? It was an MLS record. I know we talked about it at the end of the Vancouver game
0: 11 and 13. Yeah. All okay. So 11 and
1: 13, all competitions, including US Open Cup. So, you know, lucky Minnesota United fans get to see him twice in one week. <laughs> um, I don't know how Boxel and Ike Parra feel about that. But, <laughs> and I just, I, I think when you get a striker like that, how special they are is the fact that they create so much danger and such a threat offensively that it opens up opportunities for others. And you just watch the runs that he makes into the box, and he's always making the right run, and the amount of attention he draws and the defenders he draws with them opens up opportunities for others around him inside the box. And that's where, to me, for Minnesota United is going to be so important that if you are Michael Box on Opara tracking Fernandez inside the box, then he'll run off your shoulder really well centrally. Whoever's on that backside needs to be aware of who's coming in on the backside, mm-hmm. who is making that run on the edge of the 18, whether it's Diego Valera. I mean, yep. did you see the goal he scored last week against, you know, just slicing and dicing and megging people along the way. So even though he's a little, a little older, um, you know, he's still getting it done. So I think that's what I, I like about Fernandez. If he's not scoring the goals himself, he's creating opportunities. Even if he doesn't even touch the ball on the play, and, um, and he's scoring goals and, in himself. So Minnesota United, have got to find a way then to break out the other direction and counter. And I think that's when Minnesota United is at its best offensively is when they're breaking and countering in on the transition, you know, two quick, three quick passes out, get it up, get the ball out to the wing, go the other way. And and I don't think they're as good when they're slow and possessing in, in trying to work and break down a defense. So. I don't know. I've been been watching Portland all week long besides just watching them along during the season. And when Mm. I go back and watch every single one of Fernandez's goals back to Liga MX days, back to his prior teams, um, that's what I find about him is that if he's not the first one involved on the goal, he's getting a second assist. He's somehow involved in every single play that happens for whatever team he plays on.
0: And that's um, absolutely spot on as well, at least from all the tape that I have seen as well because – for me, Fernandez plays so beautifully off the shoulder. Mm-hmm. So, how how do you deal with it then, Jamie? Because if you're a centre half, uh, do you play a high line and run the risk of of toying with some of these lovely through balls that Valeri can play, and and um, Fernandez springing the offside trap, or do you play deeper and allow there to be a ton of space for Valeri?
2: Yeah, I think you you certainly ask Ozzy Alonso to sit a little bit deeper this game, maybe maybe more so than usual, and you really put. Um Ozzie Alonso in front of them in an area in which it collapsed that that space that Fernandez can have I think you definitely need to keep Fernandez in front of you if you're back four you don't need him getting the wrong side of you so I would be okay with a slightly deeper starting position same with Ozzie Alonso and give there a little bit more room in there for the midfielders to operate in the spaces I think this is a game in which Ozzy needs to make sure that he's accounted for. Fernandez is at all times. But then where is Valeria as well? And don't get pulled too far out wide. And if that's the case, um, I think I wouldn't be shocked if Minnesota United, depending on availability of some players, if they even put three people in the midfield to try to expertly win the midfield battle, because I think it's going to be really important. And I think you stop Fernandez one by making sure Ozzy's able to apply a little bit of pressure from behind, but then also win it just by a numbers game and not let Valeri get on the ball, not let char have too much time and space going from side to side, connecting with passes to to other players. And, um, you know, when, when Blanco tucks in, you know, make sure that there's another number in that can also help defend and, and not get pulled apart and run out of shape. But, um, I think for me, the biggest thing about this game is I think whoever, I think here's what I'll say about this game. If Minnesota United wins the first game, I think that would absolutely crush the confidence and not give Portland any sort of belief going into the game on Wednesday. If Portland gets any sort of result, a win or a tie on this this game on Sunday, they roll right into Wednesday's game going, I don't know what everybody's talking about this Fortress. We just got a result three, four days earlier. We're fine. You know, we can come in three days later and get another result in advance on in the open cup. I think. Minnesota United winning this game is so imperative and if they win on Sunday I think they win again on Wednesday just simply because that that mentality of being on the road again after they did it for 12 games, Now well, they've been in a good stretch at home at Providence Park, you get back up again to go on the road and if it doesn't go well the first day for them, I think it makes it even more difficult for them on Wednesday and the vice versa if it goes well for them on Sunday, I think it makes the game on Wednesday easier in their mindset than maybe it would be if if they lose
0: just final thoughts before we wrap up here, guys, as well, I'm interested to get your thoughts on, on this subject. The Timbers have got six away wins, as you alluded to there, Jeremy. They played the first 12 games on the road. Does that make them a more fit-able, a formidable team to play against in an occasion like this? Because one could argue, I, I, I don't think anybody else in this league would be more used to playing on the road than them.
1: I think they're comfortable on the road. I don't think... They'll have, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be easy for them. It's Allianz Field. It's still Minnesota United's fortress. I mean traveling on the road they're coming off this All-Star break you know they know they've got Sunday Wednesday you know they're going to be I'm assuming staying here throughout the the duration of that so it's a different mindset coming into this knowing you have Sunday Wednesday in the same city in the same stadium on the road, but I do think they have an absolute comfort level on the road that no other team in MLS can have any experience. I mean, even Minnesota started with five on the road and it's nothing close to what they experienced. And towards the end of that stretch of 12 games of the second half, they started to find their form and their fit and their footing. And I think, um, I, I don't think it phases them really to go on the road and no matter what stadium they're playing in. So I do think that more than any other team in this league, they they have a comfort level away from home, away from their stadium, even though they've been back there now and they've opened right. it. I still think that, you know, this is like old hat to them. It's like, oh, back on the road. No, no problem. We got this.
2: Yeah, but they've also lost seven games on the road. As oh, well. right, so they've right. Lost a lot. So the numbers are skewed heavily mm-hmm. because they've played far more away games than every other team. But they've also experienced defeat on the road and, and I'm just going through the rest of the teams. I mean, there's, there's only a handful that have as many losses on the road to them, you know, FC Dallas, real Salt Lake, Houston in the Western conference. So they go, so they're, you know, tied for the most losses or tied for second, most away losses on, you know, in the Western conference. So it's a catch 22, right? They've done it more times. They've succeeded more times, but they've also lost almost as many times. So, It's, it all comes down to individually, the mentality of the group of players and where they're at and all of those losses and that collective mindset of that big spell was a 12 game lump that they had all season and off season to all a preseason and all off season to think about and plan for and get their head around. Now it's coming back to back games at a difficult place in which they know only one team has come in here and succeeded in 11 tries. So yeah, there's a lot of different dynamics just going to come down to individually what the mentality is of that individual player and the group mentality that they have. And hopefully Gio Savarese can get their mindset, right? If you're Portland Timbers fan for these back-to-back one-off MLS and U S open cup competition, it's nothing that anybody's probably seen before as well. So it's a new kind of endeavor for these guys going away, away, two different competitions in three days time. You know, it's a, it's a weird one. It's a different dynamic. So it'll be an interesting chess match between the coaches who can say the right things to their group of players to get the best reactions from them.
0: Do we expect either side to prioritize either Sunday or Wednesday?
1: I think I think they go first games for Sunday. Sunday is the most important. It's a Western Conference game, MLS. They know how important this this game will be. a continued down the stretch. I don't think you can go, okay, I'm going to rest some guys for the, the Open Cup. U.S. Open Cup semifinal, just in my opinion. Mm. So I think it's going to be the most, the first game is the most important game. And he's going to throw out his best 11 that are available, put the best 18 out there that are available and healthy and ready to go in into Sunday's match.
2: Yeah, I am i can't see any difference. I'd be, uh, barring injury, I'd be shocked if we saw really very many changes from, from Sunday to Wednesday.
0: Mm. As always, my thanks to Kindred Day St. Alban. Wait, and what's your
1: prediction?
0: S- are we doing predictions, are we? Well, why not? Okay.
1: We have yet not to. Yours first.
0: <laughs> <laughs> for Sunday, I'm going to say 3-2 Minnesota. Okay. For Wednesday, I'm going to say... Um, I wasn't
1: even asking for Wednesdays, but you give it. Well, we're <laughs>
0: going to have two games before, before then for before the next we're doing so one. See, yeah. uh, so Wednesday, I, I I will argue 2-2 extra time, and Minnesota win it an extra time.
1: Whoa. I'm going 2-0 Minnesota on Sunday. On <laughs> Wednesday... Oh man, I go. I'm gonna. I'm. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two one Portland. Okay. Wow. I might get crushed for that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> 1-0 Minnesota on Sunday. One one Minnesota win on penalties. Oh, you homers!
1: No, I'm just kidding. Penalties.
0: <laughs> Don't know if we can penalties. take penalties. Well. <laughs> oh, okay. Be-o,
1: coming up big time. Yep. Again. Yeah, there absolutely.
0: You go. <laughs> Ah, right then that was an (laughs) hour and five minutes by the way Um, you'll never get that hour and five minutes back in your life
1: Morgan's sleeping over here so it must have been riveting
0: (laughs) as always thank you very much Kindred St. Alban, Jimmy Watson our producer Morgan Lupin and of course you can watch Minnesota United up against Portland Timbers Sunday afternoon 3pm on ESPN or you can join us for the radio call at 2.30pm on Score North and if you're outside the Twin Cities on Sirius XM as well a gargantuan few days for Minnesota United As always, thanks for joining and thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to a Minnesota United production.